This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Sedating the Intubated Patient by Dr. Monica Kleinman. Please note that in this video we will be following the guidelines used at Boston Children's Hospital. Some of this information may need to be modified based on the equipment, guidelines, and practices in place in your institution. Hello, my name is Dr. Monica Kleinman. I'm a pediatric intensivist in the Division of Critical Care Medicine at Children's Hospital Boston. And today I'm going to be talking about the use of sedation and analgesia for the intubated pediatric patient. What we're going to do here is describe uh, how we take care of children on a ventilator at Children's Hospital Boston and talk about some of the principles of sedation and analgesia, namely the goals of providing sedation and analgesia to facilitate care, uh, the choice of medications, the regimen of medications to provide depending on the course of the child's illness, and then how to transition to the point that the child can be extubated once their underlying disease has resolved. Once an infant or child has respiratory failure requiring intubation, the use of mechanical ventilation is facilitated by sedation and analgesia in order to maintain the child's comfort and safety. This discussion is going to be about the use of sedation and analgesia in the intubated patient in the pediatric ICU. The goals of sedating and providing analgesia to a child who's receiving mechanical ventilation are several. The main goal is comfort, and comfort is a combination of analgesia, anxiolysis, and amnesia. And then the second main goal is safety which is to facilitate the care of the patient, be that providing positive pressure ventilation to facilitate gas exchange, suctioning, or other treatments uh, for which the child needs to be relaxed and cooperative. Remember that medications are only part of providing sedation and analgesia for the intubated child. Whenever possible, one should use environmental techniques like keeping lights in the room low, keeping the sound in the room uh, decreased, um, providing swaddling or other means that are age appropriate to increase the child's comfort, and using other non-pharmacologic techniques uh, like distraction techniques for the child who might be uh, somewhat awake but uh, who is still at risk of becoming uncooperative. Also consider reversible causes of discomfort um, things like hypercarbia, uh, agitation from uh, uncomfortable sensations like urinary retention or skin breakdown can all make the uh, infant harder to keep comfortable but from a cause that isn't a lack of medications but is something that could potentially be corrected. Also your choice of medications and your uh, uh, regimen of medications can be influenced by the child's underlying condition. Um, certainly a child who's otherwise healthy and neurologically normal who needs to be intubated and ventilated is going to require a different 
medication regimen than a child who uh, perhaps has some significant pre-existing neurologic problems. Initial considerations. The general approach is fourfold. To anticipate the trajectory of illness, meaning is this child going to be intubated and ventilated for hours, days, or potentially even weeks? To define the comfort goals, that is to say, how sedated and comfortable do I need this child to be in order to safely take care of him or her? To choose medications based on what's available uh, in your facility and based on the child's underlying condition. And then to continuously adjust your sedation regimen so that you are keeping the sedation comfort goal that you have already set or reassessing the comfort goal as the child's condition changes. In terms of the trajectory of illness, in the short term, one is going to be looking for things like post-operative or post-procedural situations where the need for intubation and mechanical ventilation can be predicted to be finite. So a child who's just had uh, surgery who may need to remain intubated and ventilated overnight clearly is going to have just a short-term course of mechanical ventilation and is going to need a different regimen than a child who has, say, suffered a head injury in a motor vehicle accident and is anticipated to be on the ventilator for many days. The other group of patients who may require just a short course of mechanical ventilation are those with reversible conditions, things like toxic ingestions or um, prolonged seizure in which one expects the child is only going to be temporarily in need of ventilation uh, and not need ventilation for more than a day or two. Longer term, uh, those children who have a critical illness, sepsis, acute lung injury, uh, severe trauma, are ones who one can predict are going to be on the ventilator for more than a day or two. And therefore, your sedation plan is going to be altered because of that child's anticipated trajectory. And we usually divide those into the acute phase of the illness and then the recovery phase of the illness or the maintenance phase of the illness, where in the acute phase, you're still doing ongoing resuscitation and the child's vital signs and vital functions have not yet stabilized. And the comfort goal may be different than that child who's recovering from pneumonia or recovering from a motor vehicle accident in whom you're trying to gradually allow them to be more wakeful over time. Any patient who is intubated, ventilated, and receiving chemical paralytics should be treated with sedatives and analgesics with the assumption that they are uncomfortable. And the assessment of that patient can be challenging, but we'll discuss it a little bit more when we talk about how to set a sedation goal. Comfort goal. The suggestion when one is trying to define the comfort goals for an individual patient is to try to use some sort of standardized score, something that everybody can understand. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, something that's terribly complicated, um, but it should be a score that describes what condition you would like the patient in, ideally. So in an ideal world, you'd like the youngster to uh, perhaps sleep when undisturbed, wake when stimulated, 
but quickly fall back asleep when no longer stimulated. And that might be the ideal description for the typical child on a ventilator. However, there are some patients who are going to need to be more sedated than that in order to be safe or in order to be comfortable. So, for instance, the child with increased intracranial pressure may need to be kept at a more significant level of sedation and analgesia so as to avoid changes in intracranial pressure that could be harmful. Uh, likewise, a child who may have some sort of um, neuromuscular disease and who is quite weak and not in danger of self-extubating or dislodging tubes or lines might not need as heavy a level of sedation, enough to re reduce anxiety and uh, prevent any pain, but not so much that uh, you're helping to keep them um, restrained in the bed and uh, avoid dislodgement of tubes and lines. So certain things like patients who are known to have a difficult airway, patients with intracranial pressure increases, and patients with conditions like pulmonary hypertension are ones in which you may wish a uh, more significant level of sedation and analgesia so that changes in their physiology don't cause major problems for vital functions. The key with this is to reassess frequently. The goal that you set on a Monday may be different than the goal that you need for Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, and so it's a process of continually trying to understand where the child is in their trajectory of illness and the course of their illness and then what the best goal is for their sedation. One score that we've used is the state behavioral score, which describes children at different uh, levels of sedation everywhere from comatose and unresponsive to a child who can be awake and calm and cooperative to a child who's thrashing and uncomfortable, which is typically not a goal that we would set. Um, but this is a score that has been published and has been used with success in our ICU uh, to help the clinical team come up with a plan for the day um, and, and a, a common goal that nurses and physicians can use to say we'd like to keep the patient in this relative zone of comfort. Medications. In terms of the medications that might be used for a typical patient who is intubated and ventilated, we use a combination of narcotics and benzodiazepines. Uh, different narcotics are, different in, are available in different areas of the world. Um, at our facility, the standard choices are morphine for analgesia and midazolam for comfort and for anti, uh, I'm sorry, for anxiolysis and amnesia. But this could be other benzodiazepines or other narcotics, uh, depending on what is available and what is uh, what you are comfortable using in your own unit. The need for chemical paralysis really depends on the patient's condition, and a patient who um, is chemically paralyzed is one where you're going to have a more challenging time assessing comfort. Um, patients who are chemically paralyzed are going to display discomfort, usually in their vital signs. So you'll see autonomic changes with tachycardia and hypertension in a patient who is uh, chemically paralyzed but who is uncomfortable. And we, as I said before, assume that they are in pain, assume that they are uncomfortable when they have changes in vital signs with mild stimulation. And we'll use that 
score standard to assess uh, whether or not that patient is uncomfortable and to adjust medications when they are chemically paralyzed. Pupillary reaction has been used by people to uh, try to determine whether a child is well sedated or not. It may not be as reliable as vital sign changes are. Um, and so one should use all the information in deciding whether a paralyzed patient is in need of more sedation or analgesia. The major principle once you've started medications is to titrate, that is adjust to your comfort goal. And so if you've described your goal for the child, calm, not agitated, may briefly wake to noxious stimuli but easily falls back asleep and sleeps when undisturbed, people at the bedside can then adjust the medications to target that particular comfort level that you've described. For patients who are going to be intubated only for a short-term period of time, we will generally use intermittent doses of medication. So a bolus dose of a narcotic alternating with a bolus dose of a benzodiazepine, whether we think the child's mostly suffering from pain or needs sedation. And since many of these patients who are on the short-term pathway for their course of intubation, because many of them are post-operative, we oftentimes will favor using narcotics because we believe there's post-operative pain involved. For a child who is uh, here with respiratory failure or, or asthma, uh, it's less likely that their reaction to being intubated is going to be one of pain and more likely that it's going to be agitation and anxiety. And there we might favor using uh, more midazolam or benzodiazepine. For patients who are going to be intubated for a longer period of time, typically more than two days, uh, we will initiate continuous infusions of narcotics and benzodiazepines uh, with the idea of uh, trying to avoid swings in level of comfort and provide a continuous background. And then on top of that, as needed, we'll provide extra boluses of medication to either get the patient to a better level of sedation quickly if needed, or to pre-medicate before noxious stimulation like suctioning. And so we call those rescue or procedural boluses. Uh, so the child who's on a continuous infusion may be fine as long as you're not touching them, but if they need a procedure done, uh, may need some extra medication. Um, or if they are becoming tolerant to the medication dose that they had yesterday, they may need that infusion increased and while you're waiting for that to take effect, may need a bolus of medication to keep them safe and comfortable. We will try to avoid adding other agents to that basic mix of narcotics and benzodiazepines uh, unless we have really maximized those drugs or if we start seeing toxic side effects that limit our raising them further. And if we do have to add extra agents um, we try very hard to do that one at a time, thoughtfully, based on why we think the child is still not uh, able to tolerate the endotracheal tube, um, whether it's an issue of disturbed sleep cycles, whether it's an issue of pain, whether it's an issue of uh, significant tolerance to medications because of prior exposure. We'll try to tailor our extra agents to those factors. 
Of course, the hope is that while the child is on the ventilator and uh, you have titrated the medications to keep them comfortable and safe, that in the meantime, your treatment of the underlying problem is helping them to get better. And therefore, one needs to be prepared to transition the child to extubation. Um, this can be another challenge because by necessity, the child needs to go from a fairly sedated and calm state to a more awake state so that they can have the endotracheal tube removed and be able to protect the airway and breathe comfortably. And so this is uh, very much art more than science um, and requires very good communication among the caregivers at the bedside. The first thing to consider is that as the child's improving, that child may not need to have as uh, significant a level of sedation as when you were initially resuscitating the child. And so fluctuations in uh, levels of awakeness and uh, heart rate and blood pressure may be much better tolerated when they are in the recovery phase from their illness. So allowing them to be more awake and resetting your goal for the level of sedation is the first step. And then adjusting the medications to basically the minimum, the minimum effective dose that you need to keep the child comfortable should be your goal. Extubation concerns. For patients who are intubated for less than five to seven days who recover in that period of time and who've been getting narcotics and benzodiazepines, when their disease has improved to the point that they meet our criteria for safely extubating them, then we'll consider stopping those medications all at once. Um, and when the child is adequately awake, which may take minutes to hours, uh, removing the endotracheal tube. For patients who've been on those medications for longer than five to seven days, there's a much greater risk of acute withdrawal if those medications are abruptly stopped. And so instead, we would wean them in a gradual fashion so that once the child is awake enough, we know we can remove the endotracheal tube, but we can also leave on some medication so that they won't experience withdrawal symptoms. Of course, this is just a general guideline. There are patients who've been intubated for three or four days on medication who will exhibit withdrawal signs if you abruptly stop. There are patients who've been intubated for 10 days who won't. Uh, and so we tend to be conservative and if something looks like withdrawal, treat it as withdrawal and uh, uh, practice weaning medications rather than stopping them if the patient's been uh, medicated for more than a week. Withdrawal. Withdrawal is another condition that if you use a standardized assessment tool, it can be helpful in describing uh, the child's level of discomfort, agitation, sweatiness, etc. that's making you think this is withdrawal. And we use a standardized tool called the Watt score, which is the withdrawal assessment tool that has criteria for the various signs of withdrawal. Um, and all children who've been on benzodiazepines and narcotics for a significant period of time, as you lower them, will start to experience some mild signs of withdrawal. And the goal is not to eliminate that completely, but to make it tolerable for the child. And so we will discuss as a care team what degree of symptoms we'll tolerate in the child who's 
being weaned from narcotics and benzodiazepines. And if they reach a point that those symptoms are excessive, we will either provide some rescue doses of medication or uh, we'll slow down the rate at which we're weaning from those sedatives. And as long as the child is awake and breathing after extubation, um, we will expect that they'll need some time in order to uh, have these medications reduced without having a lot of side effects from their exposure. Summary. So in summary, um, the child who has been intubated for respiratory failure from a number of conditions um, will primarily need your treatment for the underlying condition, but while doing so, we need to maintain comfort and safety while they are on the mechanical ventilator. And for a child who's uh, intubated for just a brief period of time after surgery or following a, an ingestion or something that's likely to be very temporary, one can use intermittent doses of medication, usually a narcotic and a benzodiazepine combination, in order to achieve comfort and safety. And that comfort-safety goal can be described using a standard sedation score or by descriptive information such as a child who's calm and cooperative or a child who really doesn't respond when noxious stimulation is, is applied. For a child who's going to be intubated for a longer period of time, for instance, a child with severe lung disease or who's had a head injury, then your level of sedation uh, is likely going to need to be more continuous and providing infusions of medications to keep a more constant level of sedation is appropriate with extra doses when needed for procedures or when the child appears uncomfortable. And then certain conditions may drive you to keep the child calmer and more sedate than others, things like intracranial hypertension, a patient with a difficult airway or a patient with pulmonary hypertension may not tolerate agitation um, and you may wish to have them uh, more deeply sedated. Of course, ultimately, uh, those patients who cannot tolerate any mo uh, movement in order to be ventilated or safely taken care of may need chemical paralysis. And if that's the case, um, one needs to have a low threshold for providing additional sedation and analgesia assuming that pain and agitation are present based on vital signs uh, when the child is stimulated. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.